You are listening to Pangea Cast, the digital voice of Pangea Church in Seattle, Washington. We are a church that follows in the way of Jesus to inspire others in the way of love. Visit us in person on Sundays or online at seattlepangea.com. Um, it's been pretty, pretty uh, cool to hear that um, you've been able to be exposed to some really cool teachers that aren't me especially. Uh, that, that always makes me excited around here. Um, from Oshita Moore a few weeks back to um, Dennis Edwards and then Greg Boyd, of course, uh, I think last week, if I got the order right. And uh, it's, it's really, really cool that we can have space for those sort of voices to be part of this. Technology 10 years ago would not have allowed that. And so um, hopefully those of you who are able to be here for those um, felt like you got something different out of those. And uh, we, we were in this series, and maybe we'll just <laughs> remember that, uh, on As It Is in Heaven. And this is going to be the last talk I think I do kind of around this theme of the kingdom of God ever. No, not ever, but today, like in this little like block of time that we've set aside for it. And uh, we're going to just talk about something that's very very near and dear to my experience of Jesus, but also very elusive and challenging uh, depending on the season we find ourselves in. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to talk about joy. And, and joy is this weird thing, right, that, that in some ways is like, oh, we know when we feel it. You know what I mean? Like, like, you just know what joy feels like when it smacks you in the face in the best possible way. But when it's not, like, just waking you up to life, joy is elusive. Joy maybe is just a challenge. And, and it's interesting because one of the things we hear over and over in the New Testament, whether we're in the Gospels or in the Epistles or anything, we hear over and over again that joy is this, like, expected outcome of following Jesus. That joy isn't something that's an add-on, but it's actually the experience of Jesus is producing joy. And and I just kind of get to a place where sometimes I challenge that experientially, like, seriously? Like, what are you talking? I feel, I feel like tired. I, I'm not excited about my situation right now. This is really stre- like joy. Like that's a normative Christian experience. You know what I mean? Like, like I, I just don't always wrap my life around what the New Testament seems to claim as normative. And that frustrates me. It's kind of like if you've ever read the book of Acts during a curious season and you read about people like preaching in one place and then Star Trek into another country. There's a story like that in the Bible, right? And you're like, what? what? That doesn't sound like, nor- it's not normative at all, you know? Or like, like there's that story about Peter who blesses a piece of cloth and people pass the piece of cloth around, and it heals people's diseases. Peter doesn't even have to be there, and the cloth heals people. And it's like, oh yeah, of course, it's, it's what happens in Acts. Like, that's just normal, right? Or like, like a kid is like bored out of his wits because he's like, like Paul is just preaching 
on and on and on. It's like me, right? Just on and on and on. And, and, and they're just like, oh, my gosh, this guy. Is, uh, and he just keeps going. And so this kid named Eutychus is sitting in the window, and he falls out two stories and lands on his something and dies. And Paul's like, oh, it's all good. And he goes out there, he kind of lays on him, and he wakes back up. And it's all like, oh, of course that happens. It's, it's the New Testament, you know. Hashtag New Testament slash Jesus, right? Like it just works, you know? But then we get into like, like our regular lives and we're like, yeah, I don't see all that happening, that's for sure. You know what I mean? And, and then it goes another step, like, like just the basic experience, like, like happiness or joy or, or like some of these, like that whole list of the fruit of the spirit, right? You're like, Man, I don't feel very peaceful right now. Man, I, you, you know, like, like it's just, and it, it's really, really hard to be a Christian 2,000 years later because of some of these dynamics. And yet, I want to sit in the reality that although there is a weird sort of 2,000-year culture gap, there is an experiential culture gap. Because, like, not only are we separated by history, but we're separated by space, right? Like, we're not in an Eastern context, for instance, right? So like, like it's not just that it's 2,000 years later and of course these things should be happening. It's 2,000 years later, plus we are not Easterners, we are Westerners, at least in the big sense. Even if like our heritage is Eastern, we've been reared in Western realities, right? And so like, like even that is a separation. And, and, and so it's like, it feels like a big gap a lot of the time. And yet, what's so fascinating to me is that when I look at people today that I admire or I'm learning from or I'm growing from, like, like it's, it's interesting because sometimes some of these things are more normative for them than they are for me. At least it appears that way. And, 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 and it's not like, They've got it together. I don't have it together. Like that, that equation doesn't really work either. It's just like, wow, like there's, there's still glimpses of some of these things being real. Now, now, I don't know about like an apostle, you know, passing around a rag today. Like I, I'm really suspicious of that. Like, like when a guy on TV is like, hey, if you will send me money, I will send you a vial of water from the Jordan right, from the Jordan River that was blessed by me, that, that in being blessed, you dump it on yourself, and it's like you're going to have an ecstatic experience with the Jesus or something. You know what I mean? Like, that's ridiculous. It's just utterly ridiculous. And so some people try and, by the way, I think that water comes out of his tap. I'm just going to keep it real. I don't think it's out of the Jordan. You know, yeah. So, so my point being that when it comes to anything that feels normative in the New Testament, when it doesn't feel normative in our experience, we start to ask some really hard, hard questions, especially when things are challenging. And so today, as we talk about the kingdom and joy as a normative experience in the New Testament, we have to frame it in the way the New Testament does to at least start to take those steps across that 2,000-year span and across that, like, Western to Eastern reality divide. Like, there's just so many spaces of division and difference. And so, 
Here's what I want to say this morning, and this is like my, my big thing. Like if I had anything I hope we walk away from, it's this, that joy is an outcome of the kingdom life with Jesus. That, that to me, although it doesn't always match my experience, I have to believe it's true. Like it's too beautiful to not believe it's true. You know, it's not formulaic for me. It's like, if I believe in Jesus, and this is one of the coolest things about believing in Jesus, I have to believe it could be true. And I, I want to test it this morning because I, I think it's more true than we often notice because we don't actually try to notice. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think sometimes, like, we, we, like, get into the rut of our routine and we don't actually stop and notice those moments that are actually joy-saturated. And so I want to do something a little risky this morning. It's not that risky. But, but what I want to do is, is someone next to you. I want you to pause. And I'm going to give you a, a second to pause. And I want you to think about your last week. And if you can't go, like, if you're like, no, that's not going to work, dude. You know, then go to two weeks, right? Then go to three. Then go to three months. Whatever you got to do. But what I want you to do is we're going to pause for, like, 30 seconds. And I want you to just sit with this question. Where was joy, and did I fail to notice it? Or maybe you didn't, and it's just something you really want to share. That's great. So pause with that, and then just with a neighbor, I'm going to invite you to just tell a, like, 20-second version of why this was a joy experience for you, okay? Is that, does that sound easy enough? A fair assignment? Not crazy? Not over, you know? And if you don't want to share, you don't have to share. And if you don't even want to talk to people, just you know, cold shoulder them, it's cool, like whatever. <laughs> do whatever you got to do. Okay, so pause for a, a sec here, and I'll, I'll invite us back into conversation in a second. All right, why don't you, uh, if you'd like, if you feel open to it, tap someone on the shoulder. Maybe there's groups of two, maybe there's groups of three, and uh, just share. And it can be very simple. It doesn't have to be deep, intimate details. Just like, hey, this brought me joy, and I want to I wanna own that this morning. Go ahead. Try. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Let you kind of wrap up. And if uh, I'm cutting you off, of course, talk more after church. Uh, but uh, doesn't that feel good? I mean, for me, it feels good just to name something that maybe kind of brings back a rush of joy that you may have had in a, in a simple moment, or maybe it was a huge moment, maybe it was a gigantic moment. Um, I, uh, I graduated last week, so I had these like highs that were just so um, awesome. I, I had to defend my thesis this week, and it was weird. I defended my thesis from 12.30 to 2.30 on Thursday, and then I graduated at 7 p.m. that same day. So it was like this really emotion-driven sort of kind of experience. And, uh, you know, I, I uh, walked into that meeting really knowing that I had to be on. Have you ever had a moment where you just know you have to be with it? And, and you cannot let your, how your body feels in that moment matter? Like, it's, uh, you know, it's chill out, dude. You, you get to be in this, you know? Um, and, and your mind, and, and so, like, I uh, made sure I had plenty of coffee that morning. I bought me a venti, 
you know, and uh, drank most of it. And uh, I, I was just, yeah. And I went through it, and it was a griller, you know. But walking out, having them shake my hand and having them congratulate me and, you know, all that stuff, it was like this release of like, I didn't need their approval, but it was joyful to have it. Does that make sense? You know what I mean? Like, I, my identity wasn't wrapped up in these three guys that are smarter than me. But to have that moment was like, oh, it was worth it. You know what I mean? Um, I, and, I, and those moments of joy, if we, don't, if we don't name them, can become so just like, yeah, but everything else. Yeah, but everything else. But naming joy not only names what the New Testament desires for us to be normative in our experience, but it also, as we know, rewires your brain to be open to receiving and experiencing more joy. So there's, there's like physiological effects to actually naming, not naming and claiming, right? But like naming these things that are real. And so what I want to do, I just really quick, I have a few observations uh, that I think are just really um, helpful from the New Testament. And, and I just want to draw out a few ideas with you this morning um, because I, I, just, I, I just really feel like, you know, today's a somber day. It's supposed to be summer, <laughs> you know? So you could walk out today. It's going to be raining on you at some point. It was sunny for a little bit. That's not going to last. It's going to be like 58 as a high, day. you know? And we're in June, and if you're not from here, and, and it's June, and it's gloomy, you're like, what did I just get myself into? You know, and, and it's called the June gloom out here. It's just kind of what it is. But capturing those moments of joy can be so empowering, for your life. And so 1 Peter, this is the Apostle Peter. He doesn't write much, but we have a couple of letters that are attributed to him. And in this first letter, this is uh, what he says near the opening in uh, chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. He says, although you've never seen him, so Jesus, you love him. Even though you don't see him now, you trust him and so rejoice with a glorious joy that is too much for words. You are receiving the goal of your faith, your salvation. And so, so for Peter, like having a, a connection to this invisible figure called Jesus is joyous. It is, it is, there is something about your life without this God that when this God steps in, there's a new kind of joy that becomes possible. I want to keep going because because here's the thing that, that we need to name if we're going to be able to be people who own joy well. It's, it's this, that joy and contentment have much more in common than joy and happiness. And that, that my friends, that reframe has to be at the front of our minds when we start to think about this stuff. You could feel really happy and associate that with joy, and it might actually resonate. You know what I mean? Like, I was happy after my meeting. You told stories about where you were happy, probably. But, but joy and contentment are much more kind of like good sort of compliments to each other than joy and happiness. Happiness is fleeting. Joy is a posture, a space of living. 
And I want to talk about that because I think that's one of the areas that we can go completely wrong when it comes to this idea of a life in God's kingdom that is normative, that is day-to-day, where joy is real. That if we associate joy with happiness, we're going to be all messed up along the way. Because happiness is this like, I feel really happy today. And yes, you can feel joyful today, right? But when the New Testament talks about joy, it's rooted in an ongoing experience, and it's usually rooted in circumstances that are not ideal. And we can wrap our heads around the not ideal part of joy, then maybe we can walk in joy in a different kind of way uh, as we learn to live a life with others in Jesus. You know, here's, here's like, like probably the most mind-blowing passage when it comes to joy in the whole New Testament. It's found in Hebrews. You've probably, if you're a church person and you grew up in the church, you've read this, and it's uh, probably one that made you memorize, and at the time, you're like, I have to memorize another verse, and that's stupid, because, but I'm going to do it because all my friends are doing it, and they get little badges or whatever. You know, if you grew up at, sorry, I'm so sorry for you. You know, um, when I was a kid, I was in Whirly Birds. I didn't even know that was a thing, but I had this hat with a spinner, you know, Whirly Birds for Jesus. We had a song, we're Whirly Birds for Jesus. I don't know how it goes anymore. That's the only part I remember. But, but you know, Memory verse aside, like, just hear what he's saying. Like, this is so powerful. Hebrews chapter 12, it says this. So let's also run the race that is laid out in front of us since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us. So we're kind of just talking about all of these saints, all of these former followers of God that really are cheering us on in a way. And it says, let's throw off any extra baggage, get rid of the sin that trips us up, and fix our eyes on Jesus, faith's pioneer and perfecter. He endured the cross, ignoring its shame for the sake of the joy that was laid out in front of him. And by the way, he sat down at the right hand of God's throne. That's pretty rad too, right? So, so, so for, for the writer of this letter we've come to call Hebrews, joy wasn't free of pain. Joy wasn't free of frustration. Actually, joy was the motivation and space of empowering Jesus to go through what we would consider probably the most horrific of circumstances imaginable. Joy anchored Jesus so much that when we look at the life of Jesus, we don't just say he got an easy road. He had it easy. He was divine. He had everything he needed laid out in front of him. Wasn't a big deal. Well, yeah, Jesus was divine. Yeah, he could do some miracles. Yeah, all of that is true. But he lays down all of the things he could have done and endures. And joy is the motivating factor. He sees where it's going. He sees what can be and says, I'm going to endure what is because I see what can be possible as a result of this. And it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to get joy when I get there. It's I have joy in knowing where this thing is heading. That's, I mean, man, that's powerful stuff. Any of you runners? Couple, yeah, yeah. Like, and, and I like this. <laughs> that means, you know, when I was a youth, I was pretty good at running. Nowadays, I'm, we're working on it. You know, uh, I, I think you're more than working on it, but you get it. Um, 
I don't even run. I don't even know how to run. In fact, if I were to run right now, I'd look like Forrest Gump running, probably. And um, I would fall over, and my joy would end on the street as I laid down in the fetal position. But for those of you who run, like, this metaphor has to be so helpful, right? Like, like you run, and it's not as though, like, you're sitting there, and you're like, okay, so I'm going to run. And running is so horrible, you know? Like, I hate running. I hate it, but I, I signed up for a marathon because I hate running. Maybe some of you, like, because you want to become, like, better at life or something, right? But for the most part, like, runners, like, actually like running. And it rips your body to shreds when you run hard. And yet, it's, it's not like, once I get to the finish line, I've got joy. It's running in and of itself is good. Running in and of itself is painful and terrible, right? And it's all of that coming together that empowers the runner to make this sacrifice. The way of Jesus is so much like this race. And it's not like, I've heard this like, you know, we run the race. There's other places where Paul will use this metaphor. You know, it comes up a few times in the New Testament. And some of those spaces, um, you know, it's like, we're running the race so we go to heaven when we die or something. You know, and it's like, what? No. We're running this race because the process is redemptive and good and joy can empower us along the way. And I think, I think it's so practical. And so Jesus, I, I would just say this, that Jesus models the integration of joy with endurance. You know, we, we talk around here a lot about like the desire to become more fully human you know, like, and this isn't like some weird new agey stuff, you know, like, you know, if we just like exist together and become more human and, you know, like, it's, it's like, no, 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 like we have a prototype of what it looks like to be human and his name is Jesus and he lived in Nazareth 2,000 years ago. And, and so, so like when we see Jesus and the way that he lived and the way that he pushed and the way that he loved and the way that he was generous, like all of those things, we say, that's, that's, that's who I want to be like. Like, that's my guru. That's my guy. Like, I want to know how to become more like that. And if I can become more like that, I might actually become more of the human image bearer that God sees in all of us. And, and so, like, when it comes to endurance and joy, I mean, Jesus is that model. We should look at him and say, okay, like, like, like you were so rooted and present in what you were walking through, whether exciting or not exciting, painful, happy. But you were so rooted that when the moment came for the hardest set of circumstances that would ever confront a human being, joy was his motivation. And endurance was the means through which that joy was tested and actualized. And I, I have this sense that, that a lot of us, you know, in the moment, like when we're going through stuff, like we really struggle. Like I struggle with this all the time. Like, like I would just have a bad day. And like I just feel really tired. And you know this about me. Like I have tired issues. And I'm just like, oh, today is the worst. 
And maybe because today is the worst, like I'm the worst. And if I'm the worst, what am I doing with my life? Like, you know, and all, I'm serious. Like, and you know how this goes. Some of you whose brains don't turn off, if that's you, like your brain just goes, oh, and what am I doing with my life? And am I a failure? And do I have anything to offer the world? And you just keep going. And then you come back around, hopefully, and come back around and you're like, oh, wait, 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 wait. I think my body is just tired and it's playing tricks on me right now. And sometimes it actually takes other people to kind of like, hey, hey, you're not like a failure at life. Hey, hey, like, like, like you actually have good things here. Like, hey, hey, um, you're actually growing through this. And, and I would venture to guess if you dug deeper, Kurt, you, you would see that there's actually joy still in there. But it's being tested. But so often we think that joy and pain are opposites, but joy and pain are not opposites. In fact, pain is the means through which in a world like ours, where we've got all kinds of problems, where we've got all kinds of imperfections, pain can be the means through which joy is freed up from its shackles in new kinds of ways. Now, I don't, I don't believe in a God who like tries to hurt you, you know what I mean? Like, like so, so when I've heard this taught in, in certain like sort of theological camps and, and systems, it's been like, you know, God's will was to crush Jesus according to that one prophecy. So like, like God's will for you is to be crushed and feel wrath and feel pain so that, you know, all of it will end up good because God has an ultimate will for your life or something. And, and so just endure, just be, you know, and I'm just like, you know what? No, no, like, I don't believe in a God that like wants me to suffer. But at the same time, I do believe in a God who is willing to like utilize all the resources necessary to purge me of the need to not actually lean into a fuller human experience. I need purging all the time. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just like, oh my gosh. Like, 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 the fact that I go through these interesting cycles of, like, self-doubt or whatever. And that's just one easy example to kind of pick on a little bit. I, 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 I need some, something, something hard in front of me to prove to myself personally that with Jesus' help, with my community's help, I can maybe come out the other side even more whole and more full of joy and more kind of rooted in life. And it doesn't even have to be those kind of mental cycles. Like, you know, for me, it was, uh, some of you know, that's like learning to read the, the ancient Greek thing was really hard for me. I can get a perfect score on any paper I've ever, you know, and this isn't to brag. I'm going to give you a contrast here. Like, I, I can go in. I can write the best paper. People think, whoa, this is like amazing, you know. And then I, then I get into my translation courses, and I'm surrounded by 18-year-olds that have been studying Greek and Latin their whole lives because they went to classical school or something. And I'm just there like, huh, what? And I'm like the stuttering one in class, and I'm trying to figure this stuff out. And, and, and I just remember thinking, I am never going to get through this program, and it's going to mean that I'm a failure and all of the stuff I've worked, you know, and I just that. And, and there was something in this last year that was like purifying about saying, what if I went into this and just said, let's endure for a while and see what happens, you know? And to, let, to, to actually, like, as my spiritual director says, like, bring Jesus into the work, you know, and actually, like, notice, like, like, there's all kinds of examples of things that you probably are walking through that are hard 
that with the right set of frames might actually lead you towards a deeper experience of joy. But sometimes pain is part of the journey. You know, and, and I, I, I'm going to read one, mat, bleh, can't even talk, one last passage here that I think kind of frames this for us. Because I, I, I do think that it's necessary that we just see these examples teased out in Scripture. It just helps us, right? And so like Paul, when he's talking about this, this is in Philippians um, chapter 4. Paul will say, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and miss, who are my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord. And he'll, he'll, he'll write to this community and he'll say, look, you bring me this rooted sense of joy, this, this like I can't even describe. And, and throughout the book of Philippians, it's God through Jesus brings this immense amount of joy. And then he'll say some weird things like, watch out for those dogs, right? Very insulting, I think, right? So, so he has to deal with real world problems, but the, the root of it is, is joy. And so here, You go down a few verses, and he says in verse 6, I'm sure about this. The one who started a good work in you will stay with you to complete the job by the day of Christ Jesus. I have good reason to think this way about all of you, because I keep you in my heart. You are all my partners in God's grace, both during my time in prison and in the defense and support of the gospel. God is my witness that I feel affection for all of you with the compassion of Christ Jesus. This is my prayer that your love might become even more and more rich with knowledge and all kinds of insight. And I can endure all these things through the power of the one who gives me strength. Still, you have done well to share my distress. You see, in in Paul's set of circumstances, he's in jail, he's writing this letter, and this church, this congregation in Philippi has said, we need to resource Paul, we need to make sure he's being taken care of, we need to show him that he can endure. And so, so this is exactly what Paul's referring to. He's like, I have so much joy, and yet, it's, this is a hard journey. It's been hard for you, it's been really hard for me. And Paul puts together this idea that joy and contentment belong in the same category. And so as we think about this in the context of the church in Philippi, we remember that increasing joy is a community project that's guided by Jesus. It's a community project guided by Jesus. And one of the things that um, it's really like, like been life-changing for me is the community piece of this. I used to try and do spirituality basically by myself. And, and, I, and it wasn't like actually, you know what I mean? Like I still, I was in church, I was, I was a pastor, a lot of that, you know, but like, like, all I've got to do, I, I used to think, was just do my spiritual practices, do these things that help give me life, maybe meditate a little bit, whatever. And, and that's what gives me grounding. That's what gives me the joy that I need to get through the next thing. And what I've come to find is that when I divorce that part of my process from others 
who were on the same journey, who had the same sort of vision. When I divorce like my personal process of like enduring and finding joy in life and in Jesus from my community sort of also helping me find joy and me doing the same for them. When I sort of like create these two categories, what I found is that it just doesn't lead to anywhere good. It's like I plateau even more quickly. And after a while, you, 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 know, you can get into a place where it's like, trying to do this on my own. I'm doing it on my own. I don't need other people. You you know, it it can become really destructive if we're not careful. And I found this chart that I think is really helpful that just sort of like speaks to this in a way, right? So like, like our thought life really matters in this, right? So like if we have negative thoughts, What it ends up doing in in community settings, like if we're in a negative place and joy is not our norm and we're struggling and we're not bringing other people into that process of endurance and joy, pain and joy, all this stuff, the thought life we can produce can lead to like, well, obviously they've got it all wrong too. Obviously, they're not worth my time. You know, and, and, and we can start thinking and projecting our negatives on other people. And when we do that, all of a sudden, we've like got this like judgment and suspicion of everyone around us. And so like the very people that could be spurring us on in endurance and joy become the very people who we tell ourselves are not. And then we start to distance ourselves. You ever done that? where you just start distancing yourself from someone who has in the past been in a support and an anchor in your journey, but you're like, you know what? Like, I think this about them now because of this or that. And then we start to distance ourselves. And once we've distanced ourselves from the people that God has placed in our lives to actually support our journey, confirmation bias is the natural next step, Right? You confirm your suspicion because as you distance, you feel like they've distanced and, and that gap gets further and further apart. And, and then like, you're like, well, they're not speaking into this thing that's really hard and I'm losing my joy. And, and, but what's really happening is this mutually reinforcing gap between you and the very community that is an opportunity to actually walk through those really hard things with you. And here Paul says, look, like, like, what I know of the church in Philippi is this. They have come alongside me in my endurance in prison. And I can have joy, and, and I, can, I can, like, experience the goodness of Jesus with them in this. And them helping him financially is just one piece of a larger whole of relational connectivity that has helped him move forward and go the distance. And so, if we were going to walk away from anything today, this is my, my like, utter hope for us. And I, a lot of the, like, I'm, I'm talking to myself. Like, I'm the choir this morning. Like, I'm trying to absorb this too. Like, like what does it look like for the things that Jesus invites us into that could be normative? Joy being rooted in our human experience. No matter the context of that experience, painful, frustrating, whatever it might be. Moving us forward with others on the same kind of journey towards the same kind of goal, which the goal is always just more intimacy and joy in Jesus himself. Like, like what does that possibly look like? And, 
And, you know, I, I think we've got to assess a few things. And I, I've used this in, in the past a few years ago, and I think it still resonates today. Just a few questions that I want to ask myself, I invite you to ask yourself. Um, and we'll put this in the village guide this week if you're part of a village group. But, um, you know, just asking this simple question, like, what robs my joy? Like, are there things in your life that are robbing your joy that maybe if reframed in the fact that endurance can be part of the journey of joy might not rob you as often? Or perhaps there are things in your life that you'd say, yeah, this is actually kind of toxic and it's robbing my joy unjustly and it's avoidable injustice. What robs your joy? Is there something... Uh, deeper at work than the thing that naturally might be your joy killer? How does negative thinking lead to assigning judgment to others? And where does this create relational distance? And then finally, maybe, maybe there's something that's really deep. Maybe counseling would be an awesome step. Because when it comes to this stuff, like, like if, if we don't have others on the journey with us, Joy is going to be elusive. And, and, you know, it's really painful. I keep having to deal with this. I'm sorry. Um, it's really painful to see the news, right? People who we thought had a deep joy and grounding in their lives. Other narratives are internalized. Some of it probably rooted in, in mental health stuff that was untapped into, right? And, and, and it's leading to these disastrous situations. And, and we've, you know, that's like the worst case scenario. But here's the deal. There's a Jesus who wants nothing more than your life to be rooted in a fullness and a beautiful human experience so that all of those things that would push you into depression, all those things that will push you into sort of like feeling like, man, I'm not worth it. I've got all these things going on that kind of cycle out of control. Jesus says, you know what? There are resources available. Sometimes it's therapy, but don't just do therapy. Be in community. You know, don't just do community. Be attuned to the own stuff going on inside of you so that you don't ignore either of those elements. But what is so beautiful about the way of Jesus is that where our joy is challenged by pain, that pain can be redemptive. That pain can actually be used. The Bible has this thing it says over and over again. It talks about the reconciliation of all things. May our lives be part of the reconciliation of all things, so that where our bodies and lives feel scattered and spread apart by all kinds of forces, that the joy of Jesus might start pulling those things and redeeming them for good in our lives. That is the desire of Jesus for each one of us, that joy would be normative when we recognize that endurance and suffering and pain will probably be part of it. But it doesn't have to define who you are. 